I'm Michelle Kelly, editor of Cottage Life magazine. I'm delighted to welcome you to the Cottage Life podcast. On this week's episode, we talk with a cottager who, along with a group of Muskoka residents, is working to make the lake safer for all watercraft. Then, we revisit an essay about an ambitious cottage pastime, making maple syrup. Then, we offer our very best advice for cottage guests, what never to bring when you are invited to the lake for the weekend. This is the Cottage Life Podcast, where every day is the weekend. Hey, Cottage Coach Adam Holman here. If you know me, you know I spend a lot of time outdoors. Whether I'm camping with my family or fishing in my top secret spot, there's nowhere I'd rather be than in the wild. But we all have to head home at some point, and I'm pretty sure that the mosquitoes have put a homing device on me. Because sometimes they can be just as annoying in my backyard. So, when I'm back in the city, I use the Backyard Mosquito Lamp from OFF. Whether I'm barbecuing my breakfast or having a backyard dinner with my family, I know I'll be safe from mosquitoes for up to six hours. Which means, I may never have to go inside again. Last April, we asked fans of Cottage Life for their views on the issues that matter in cottage country. Among those issues is the increased presence of boats on our lakes and how that's making waves among boaters and non-boaters alike. While boat sales have never been stronger, cottagers are concerned about the uptick in boating accidents and with the noise and the heavy wakes that more boats create. And they're concerned about enforcement too. 63% of respondents to our survey want police to enforce existing laws on boats more aggressively and 64% want them to more closely monitor lakes for drinking and boating. One segment of the boating market that has seen a dramatic increase in sales is wake boats. This too has led to some concern among lake residents. 58% of survey respondents feel that wake boats hurt their cottage experience, and 75% believe wake boats should be regulated in some way, be it with restricted hours of use or use within a certain distance from shore. 24% believe that wake boats should be banned altogether. These troubling numbers point to a problem, but there are cottagers working to improve the situation. Safe Quiet Lakes was formed in 2011 as an offshoot of the Muskoka Lakes Association with the goal of making the lakes safer for everyone who uses them, whether they operate a wake boat or a kayak. Diana Piquette is the president of the organization, and she joins me now to talk about their efforts. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Diana. Hi, Michelle. We have known at Cottage Life about Safe Quiet Lakes for some time, um, but I'm not sure it's as well known uh, beyond our readership. So tell me about the work that Safe Quiet Lakes does and how did the group start it and what's what's your purpose? Um, Well, we started in 2011. It was a group of representatives from lake associations in Muskoka. And we really came together because we felt that there was a place to have an organization that would be completely focused on promoting safe and uh, respectful boating. And so our mission became to make the Muskoka Lake safer and quieter to ensure the sustainable enjoyment of a treasured shared resource. 
Yeah, so this is interesting. So I, I think a key part here is that in the last couple of years or maybe even decades, you know, boating in, the, in those those Muskoka lakes in particular have seen a great increase. Like there's a lot, seems to me there's a lot more boats on the lake than there ever were before, a lot more people. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. And I think we've we've done uh, some studies that show that it, it is, in fact, not our imagination that there are more and more people on the lakes. Okay, so there's more more boats on the on the lakes. But would you say that the types of boats are different? Are the boats getting bigger, for example? They are. Um, if you if you look at sort of the data of what boats are being sold, there has been a, a big increase in much bigger, faster boats in terms mm-hmm. of, of, new, of new boat sales. Um, I think that there's also been a, a big increase in PWCs or personal watercraft. So the type of, of boats that are on there are, are changing a bit. Um, that said, the, the message that we have is really still consistent. Um, you know, we are all about promoting safe and responsible boating. And we do that with our lakefront stakeholders, such as lake associations, municipalities, and marinas, and, and they help amplify that message. Right. So I guess the, the overall point there being that it's, you know, any boat is okay as long as it's being operated safely. Absolutely. Right. Um, let me just just back up a little bit, though, and ask you, um, the, the influx of boating and the influx of larger boats, they do have impacts on the environment, which makes your message even more urgent. Can you just share, you know, what some of the concerns are there around, um, you know, boating usage and how it can be problematic? Right. So um, the challenge with the boats, and I guess especially when you look at the fact that there's uh, more sort of larger, faster in boats that are in on the lake right now, that that means that there's that much more concern around um, the safety. And, and some of these boats, you know, are specifically created to, to be very loud and, and or to create very large wakes. And that's, that's part of the enjoyment of the people that are driving those boats. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, our message is, you know, um, no one is alone on the lake. There's a lot of people enjoying the lake today. So you really have to be aware of, of the impact of, of what you're doing. If, if your boat is very loud or if it has very large wakes, then you just need to be aware of that impact and then sort of enjoy your, yourself in a part of the lake that is appropriate for that sort of thing. Right. Okay. So this is where something that I think that's fantastic work that you guys are doing, uh, which is around the boaters code. And so tell me a little bit about that, because I think it really does um, focus on what the challenges are and really offer solutions too, which is what everyone's looking for. Right. Yes. And so the boaters code, which uh, you speak of, we created this <laughs> quite a long time ago, and it's something that sits as a as a large poster in most of the marinas, on most of the public docks, and it really talks about the importance of of being respectful and sharing the lake. And it has uh, you know a number of different things, from you know boating sober to you know knowing the the rules of the road and you know being respectful, especially of the the boats and the crafts that are smaller than you. Um, so yes, the boaters code is, is a big part of that. Um, we've also had um, a number of different uh, material pieces that we distribute through, 
various uh, stakeholders such as um, lake associations and sometimes we do uh, dock drops to, to get the message out. And we've recently just created a, a safety card for renters to help them understand since they're new to the waters, some of right. the, the things that they should be looking out for. And we are just releasing this week uh, a new video about uh, wakes. And we've done this new video in conjunction with uh, Muskoka Lake Associations, as well as FOCA. And the messages there are, you know, really around wakes specifically, but they still are all about the same kind of respectful boating messages you know be wake aware you're not the only one enjoying the lake today mm-hmm. your wake your wake travels it has an impact be wake aware and for large wake users your fun belongs in the middle of the lake so uh, just kind of key messages around a you know fun little video so um yeah, I mean, and all of that is amazing because I think there is a gap in education. I think that I, I like to think that truly many boaters don't understand or even realize what the impacts of their wakes or of their behavior um, is on the surrounding, not just the environment itself, but the people who, who are on the lakes. I, I think that's that's so clear and it's great work that you're doing. Something that I hear, um, which I think is an additional challenge here, is that there are lots of cottagers um, and concerned residents who are who, who have um, concerns about how little enforcement there is. So that is to say, you know, you can keep your wake down uh, close to shore. That is, in fact, the law. But if there's no one there to enforce it, then how do we move forward into safer spaces? And I'm curious what your reaction is to that question. Well, I, I think you're right. There is definitely a challenge there. Um, the amount of resources that uh, the OPP have uh, around enforcement on the water is very limited. Um, they would like to be able to enforce more, but between lack of resources and sometimes, you know, lack of regulations that they can enforce on, mm-hmm. it makes it a bit of a challenge. And so, again, all the more reason where, you know, grassroots efforts around uh, education and awareness um, spreading that word is is really the key thing to do. Mm-hmm. So on that note, how does Save Quiet Lakes work with, um, you know, not just the government, but with, with the boating industry to try and, and shape some change around that? I think the biggest thing is through the, the lakefront stakeholders, as I was mentioning. So we work with marinas, uh, especially marinas that, um, that rent out um, vessels so that you know, they're distributing cards on safety, that they're um, offering safety tips as, as they send people out. And and then the lake associations, which really have the, the biggest sort of um, impact on the cottagers themselves. And so, yeah. um, and again, when people see behavior that they think is, is not good, um, one of the things that, that we say to do is, you know, just reach out and talk to them if it's a neighbor you know, go have a, a very friendly conversation because some people don't realize, you know, Isn't that, that the truth noise yeah. travels across the water. You know, when you've right. got your speakers on, it's not even that you mind the music. It's just that the water as the waves go up and down. All you hear is bits and pieces of it. No, so. that's right. It's funny that you say that because so often at the magazine, we get uh, letters from from people who are very frustrated with their neighbor. I mean, you name it, their, their neighbor who lets their dog roam free or their neighbor whose raft is too close to the dock or whatever something the neighbor is doing. Mm-hmm. The answer is always go talk to them before, you know, you get into 
um, get into sort of legal battles or any sort of confrontation. I think you just need to, to create awareness, which again, I think is the crux of what, of what your work is. And it is so important. Um, I did want to also ask you, you know, this summer and, and every summer, frankly, that I can remember tragically, there have been really horrible accidents on the lakes. And I know this is a particular problem on the lakes, um, in Muskoka and, and on some other areas where there's just, you know, more population and more, and more boat traffic. You know, I personally, I find it so troubling and I wonder, you know, how can we move past that? How, how can we, um, you know, is there, is there something that the government can be doing? Is there something that Lake Associations should be doing? Are there new laws that should be introduced? Um, because I, I feel personally, again, my personal opinion that we are really at a point where we need to do something drastic because um, it's so horrific what's been happening. You know, I, I wonder what your perspective was on that. Well, I think, I think you're right. There's a lot more accidents and, and part of it is just there's a lot more vehicles on the water. Um, I think that one of the things that, you know, we as Safe Quiet Lakes always struggle with is, you know, the federal regulations around reporting boating accidents is, is, is really not adequate. Um, the only boating accident that needs to be reported is if there's a death. And mm. so that means that all of the, the, the collisions that, that um, you know, cause damage and, and hurt people unless there's a death, it doesn't get recorded. So, so the federal government doesn't have any idea how many accidents are happening. And if you don't mm-hmm. track how many accidents are happening, then you don't realize how big of a problem it is. That's right. And so, the scale is, is, you know, is different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, all boating accidents should, should be, um, tracked and, and reported so that we see, you know, the intensity of the problem. If we look at uh, the United States, the, each of the states make their own regulations, but a lot of the different states have laws around you can't drive a boat closer than 200 feet from the the dock or the lake shore, which mm-hmm. provides sort of a safe area for people to swim, for people to kayak and and do other sort of sports that, you know, would be endangered if you're, you know, in the middle of a lot of fast moving vehicles. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. Here's a last question for you. Looking ahead, what would you say is the one thing that you would like cottagers to do when they're out on the water, regardless of who they are, or what craft they're operating um, with the goal of improving safety for everyone who uses the lake? I think it would really be about staying aware, keeping your, your, you know, your view 360, just keep looking around and see what's happening because, um, you know, the responsibility is, is everybody is everybody's and, and, um, you know, be aware of, of the impact of what you're doing. And, you know, we talk about big boats, but it's not just big boats. It's, you know, if you're going to be swimming, don't go from your dock to an island without a spotter and, you know, a canoe following you so that uh, somebody going by can see you. And if you're in a kayak or, or a canoe, again, you know, stay focused, know that, you know, you also have to be careful. And uh, same thing, you know, PWC, the lake is for everybody to enjoy. And I think there is there is room for everybody to enjoy it. And if we're all aware of uh, what the others are doing and we're being, you know, respectful and good manners and, and, and uh, ways of behaving so that you're being, you know, really kind of friendly on the waters. Yeah, I mean, exactly what you said there is that the lake is for us all to enjoy. 
and we're all responsible for keeping it a safe and quiet place, I would say. Absolutely. Great. I wanted to say thank you for the work that you're doing because I think it's so important and I think it has amazing benefits for everyone, not just the people who are on the water in boats or sitting on the on the dock. Um, it's really fantastic and um, I wish you good luck and continued success with it. Thank you very much. For more information about the Boaters Code and the work of Safe Quiet Lakes, visit their website at safequiet.ca. Toronto-based freelance writer Sasha Chapman has contributed several pieces to the magazine over the years, often about her family's old cottage on Lake Simcoe. In this essay, written for a special issue commemorating Canada's 150th birthday, she reveals the triumphs and challenges of making maple syrup. On the Gifts of Nature is read by Garvia Bailey. Nobody made maple syrup at Romany Wood when I was a child. It wasn't until I was an adult, tramping through the leafless hardwood forests one spring, perhaps to collect some of the daffodils that grow there in clumps, planted nearly a century ago by my grandmother, that I first noticed the remnants of a sugar bush operation. In among the poison ivy and the wintergreen and the half-decomposed maple leaves were two rusted-out evaporation pans and a large barrel for collecting sap. I could just make out the remains of a sugar shack. I asked my father about it. Like any good wasp, he never shares more information than is absolutely necessary. But he'll tell you anything if you are clever enough to ask the right questions. He recalled helping out in the sugar bush as a child and the old horse that used to haul the sap barrels up the ramp to the sugar shack by sled. Predictably, there was some lingering resentment about the demise of the shack itself, which apparently had been pulled down by my father's eldest brother without the blessings of his siblings. Some of the maples were now mossy and old, hollowed out by insects and hungry woodpeckers. Others were too slender and young to be productive, but a good number were Goldilocks-sized, just right for tapping, so we flagged 10 trees in September and drew a map to find our way back in leafless winter. That Christmas, my husband, Anton, and I tucked a sugaring off kit beneath the tree for the kids. Our neighbor, a chef who had offered to patrol the woods for hooligans when we were in the city, he is a gun enthusiast, shook his head when we surprised him in February, arriving to drill spiles into trees. Forty to one, the odds are against you, he said. To boil a single liter of pancake topping, we would need about 40 liters of sap and a great heaping of patience. We drilled the holes anyway and hung up our spiles and buckets with the giddy anticipation of children hanging Christmas stockings. Then we went back to the city and waited for the snow-softening days of late winter when the sun finally shines brighter again, for the creeks to gurgle and the sap to run. Food for me has always been a way of knowing a landscape and connecting to it. 
Shivering Off would be another iteration of the same theme. Even a winter forest can reward those who know where to look for its fruits. Nearly all the buckets were overflowing when we returned a few weeks later to collect the sap in repurposed bright blue canoe tripping barrels, some 80 liters on the first trip. We skied through the sunlit winter forest and took pictures of our rosy-cheeked children in their brightly colored snowsuits as they posed winningly against a white and gray landscape that now seemed both familiar and strange. Familiar because I'd grown up here, spending 40 summers in the clearings by the lake. Strange because I'd spent so little time in these woods when they were blanketed in snow. My English grandmother named the property Romany Wood because she imagined one day running away with a caravan of Romanies. But her children and her children's children were anything but. We all grew up in the same Ontario landscape, on the south shore of Lake Simcoe, in a landscape that had shaped us as much as we had shaped it. A landscape that 40 to 1 could nourish us still. Hey, Cottage Coach Adam Holman here. You know, some cottagers are all about the view. Me? I embrace the smells. Whether it's the scent of conifers after a good rain, the Canadian bacon on my cast iron skillet, or the mist off the lake when I'm out for an early morning paddle. That's why I like to use off, deet-free mosquito repellent during my outings. It isn't greasy or oily like some other repellents. And it's odor-free, so I can enjoy every breath when I'm outdoors. Plus, it works well over my clothes. And because it's safe to use around plastics, I don't have to worry about my gear. So I can focus on the smells of nature without hearing the sounds of mosquitoes when I'm in the woods. As fans of the magazine will know, Cottage Life is well known for offering tips and tricks that help solve some of the little challenges of cottage living, from getting rid of ants to fixing leaky faucets. On this week's episode of the podcast, we're turning to a question we get asked a lot. What's something useful to bring to cottage hosts who are having you to their place for the weekend? Of course, there are many answers to this question. A new puzzle, a bottle of wine, a freshly baked pie... But what cottagers may not realize is that there's a more pressing question here, what not to bring as a guest. Penny Caldwell was the editor of Cottage Life for 15 years, and she believes the very worst thing you could bring to someone else's cottage is a watermelon. Never bring a watermelon, because whoever in the history of the world has actually eaten an entire watermelon over the course of one cottage weekend? What usually happens is that the guest will slice up maybe one-third of the melon and then wrap up the rest and stick it in the fridge for later. But we all know later never comes, and watermelons take up a lot of room in the fridge. So it usually rots in the dark, eventually earning the scorn of the cottage owner who will have to do the dirty deed of throwing the whole soupy mess away. So, dear cottage guests, if you are looking to contribute anything edible to the weekend, check with the owners first. Offer perhaps to cover an entire meal from prep 
to clean up. That will give your host bonus dock time, and it will likely score you an invite back next summer. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe to the Cottage Life Podcast for free wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have new episodes every Thursday throughout the summer, just in time for your drive to the lake. This episode is sponsored by our Cottage Life paid subscribers. I want to thank them for making this series possible. For new listeners, I invite you to check out our free email newsletters. Visit cottagelife.com newsletter to sign up. We'd love to hear from you. Post a review or email us at cottagelife.com. To find out more about our magazine, our television shows, and our live events, visit cottagelife.com. This podcast is produced by Catherine Jun and me, Michelle Kelly. I'll see you on the dock. <laughs>